Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. What a day. Holy cow. What a day. Donald Trump indicted, uh, indicted for something related to the boxes that he kept at Mar-a-Lago. We'll talk about that uh, in a moment. Um, Probably going to be indicted in other places at this point. Uh, I mean, we've raced to the bottom of what is, I think, reasonable in this country. We're at a very, very dangerous time. I don't usually say that. I know other people have said things like that. It's a dangerous time and all that. I usually don't say that. But it's a dangerous time, and we'll get into that. In a few moments, actually, we'll talk with a friend of mine. I've been looking forward to this interview with him. His name is Scott Block. Scott Block, uh, it's a fitting that we're interviewing, that I'm interviewing him today. It's been a long time coming. Scott Block is a lawyer. He's from Kansas originally. Um, he came out in 2001 or two to work in the Bush administration, W. Bush, in the Office of Faith-Based, um, Office of Faith-Based, what was it, Policies? Um, and, and it was something that George W. Bush put a lot of stock in. And, and, uh, and this man, Scott Block, it was a prominent, successful lawyer, um, a, a very Catholic guy, a convert, uh, to Catholicism and well liked by people. And so he was, um, out here and did that. Then they have this special thing called the special counsel's office. And it's a kind of ombudsman for the federal government. And he was appointed to be special counsel. It's a whole set of people. It's independent from the government, uh, formally from the structure. It's meant to be like a watchdog. And he was a watchdog. Now he got in trouble when he was asked if he had been uh, doing partisan politics. He got in trouble with Congress and ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor for not um properly how working with congress contempt of congress and uh and he got like a a, a rap uh, on the a, a, a tap on the wrist for it but he also got himself crossways with carl rove who said he was actually doing too much and so he ended up being pushed out of that job and my point in telling you all that is to tell you that um he has been at the forefront of sort of the battle between uh, pu- publicly taking on forces. He was kind of canceled by Karl Rove and the group. Now, at the time, Karl Rove was powerful and popular. Now it looks like Karl Rove and his crew had done a lot of things that made a lot of Americans say go to war, uh, not for totally honest reasons, et cetera, et cetera. So the world's turned upside down. Anyway, Scott Block, he wrote a book about his experience. He wrote a, a novel that uh, captures in some ways the experience that he had uh, in college where he became a Christian, ultimately uh, Catholic and a great guy. So we'll talk with him. His book is called Mount Wonder, and um, he'll have a perspective both on being canceled, being crossway with the powerful and all but let's get to what you need to know today what you need to know today is i would be sad if i were not a little bit frightened and that's because we're now reaching the point where the government is using its power against we the people it's been abusing its power in the situation related to january 6th the whole time 
it's been deceptive about what happened. It's been dramatic and, and over the top in how it depicts it, how it characterizes things. It's been abusing, in my opinion, the process, not to say that some people didn't do something wrong. You don't get to hit a cop during a riot and say, oh, well, the riot was started by some of the undercover cops, although it appears to be so. You know, in other words, entrapment, you don't get to plead entrapment defense if you do something that's different than the entrapment. So if I'm if I'm a uh, a famous case, the Abscam case, where there was some uh, was it a senator, a senator who was accepting a bribe. And the person who was giving the bribe was an agent. Uh, and I think that the argument was it was entrapment because the, the federal uh, law enforcement agent was saying, hey, take this bribe. And when you took the bribe, you committed a crime. That's different than a federal agents being on the grounds of the Capitol inciting a riot. And then during the riot, you hit a cop because the hitting a cop is a different crime. Anyway, my point here is what we don't know is how many Federal agents were at the Capitol on January 6th. We don't know how many undercover agents. We don't know how many full-time agents. We don't know how many, uh, what they call informants uh, or human sources or whatever these are. We don't know anything because we've been stonewalled by our government. We don't, we had the people that are in jail for January 6th treated like they were Al Qaeda as opposed to American citizens. Again, innocent till proven guilty, held in jail largely because of sets of laws that were designed for something other than what they're being used now to make things that were a misdemeanor and therefore something you go home and come back to go on trial. They made it into a felony and held people for two and a half years. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Torturous conditions, torturous characterizations. The United States House of Representatives under Congressman Benny Thompson going out and saying these people are evil, spending $20 million, nearly $20 million. Let's say confirmed 14 million, but it looks like closer to 20 million on a select committee on January 6th that was not just a show trial. It was actually a way to hide the evidence because when it was over, the select committee of Benny Thompson, the Democrat congressman and Republican Liz Cheney sent the documents from that select committee to the White House or to the archives. And you can't see them and neither can the current Congress. So they hid what they say they found. We don't even know what they looked for, but we know they didn't find the pipe bomber who planted a, an actual pipe bomb. It was an assassination attempt at the largest political headquarters of the two major parties in the world, in the greatest country on earth. And we haven't found anything. And the select committee didn't even look. They didn't ask questions. They didn't get to the bottom of it. They didn't get to the bottom of most of the stuff. And so here we are. And now we have the federal department of justice indicting the leading candidate for president donald trump for something related not to an actual crime but to what they say he did when they asked about the crime you get that there is no crime regarding classified documents because Donald Trump, just like Obama, just like Clinton, just like uh, Reagan, just like Bush Bush, they, as president, you're allowed to do whatever you want in terms of declassifying. You're not allowed to do it if you're Vice President Pence, Vice President Biden, Secretary of State Clinton, Hillary Clinton. You're not allowed to. In other words, the actual authority to classify or declassify rests with the president. Ultimately, that's the law. And so there cannot be a crime 
as to the classified documents, except now there's a crime as to whether you obstructed the investigation into something that couldn't be a crime. You see it? You see what's going on? It's a little bit like you're uh, you're being arrested, not for walking through the Capitol and being nonviolent, not for standing in front of the Capitol and being nonviolent on January 6th, not for tweeting loudmouth comments before January 6th. No, you're being actually you're being arrested. Sorry, you're being held for the felony obstruction of an official proceeding, which is not something that's been used that way. But it's a hook. You see, it's a hook. It's even worse with Trump, actually, to be honest. We are racing to the bottom. We are racing to the bottom of this. This is absolutely positively the low point in American uh, public life as to our justice system. It can't get worse because we're using the legal system, lawfare, against political opponents and blatantly so. And here's how it how tricky, how how well done it is, clever, evil. How do you think Donald J. Trump could get an impartial jury, a jury that would adjudicate this impartially on the facts and on the law when the entire culture, big tech, big media, big government, the narrative machine has been pounding the message that he's guilty. And I got to tell you, more Americans than not, if you go out and say, hey, so-and-so has been indicted by a grand jury, they'd say, well, he must have done something. They wouldn't do that if he hadn't done something. That's the kind of American instinct. And it's the opposite. Distrust and verify is the is the operating. You have to have that as the operating. Pres- it's not trust and verify. It's not the old days where you said, well, if the federal prosecutor indicts someone, the federal prosecutors are really the sort of the really talented, the cream of the crop. You don't you know, if you're a state prosecutor, you might be pretty good. But if you're a federal prosecutor, those are the guys that are smart, gals that are smart. It has to be the opposite. You actually have to say at this point, you cannot trust any of these institutions. And here's the thing. When you do this to our people, when you do this to our justice system, it's actually a self-perpetuating problem now because you can't trust the institution. Therefore, the institution acts worse and we're racing down to the bottom and it gets worse and worse. I'm not sad. I'm not sad. I'm actually a little frightened. And I just texted someone. I'm not that frightened because I have trust in God. God's in charge. God's in charge. You know, God's in charge. And you just got to know that you got to be like, okay, it's, um, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be, but we have to fight for what makes this place. Wonderful. This country. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. We'll be hearing more about it. All right, we'll take a break and come back. We'll talk with Scott Block. Long interview. I'm going to do a double interview with him. I hope uh, we'll see how we do. I think we'll be great. He's a very bright guy. Scott Block in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward for a while uh, to talking with our next guest, uh, Scott J. Block, who is an attorney and an author. He's uh, edited the co-editor of The Essential Bellic about Hilaire Bellic's uh, writings, which is fascinating enough. We could talk about that uh, for a, a long time, but also has a novel, which is called Mount Wonder, which we'll get to. But And Scott's an old friend of mine. Probably 20 years ago, we were uh, introduced, I think. And then over these years, we've been back and forth in touch, perhaps. But then I walked into him on the street uh in the swamp here i don't know six months ago and he mentioned his novel and i i got a copy and he sent me a copy and and here we are uh to talk about this this great book it's very very interesting book it's called mount wonder we'll get to that in a moment scott block uh, i mentioned an attorney we were just talking off the air he worked in a, in an office in dc came from kansas from the heart of america a very successful attorney well regarded and went to work i think maybe in the white house first or a faith-based initiatives office and then because his faith is a big deal to him uh, and then he went over to become what's called scott i'm going to get it wrong already special counsel is that the term uh for that job in the in the government yes the united states office of special counsel right Right, which is a kind of watchdog, uh, position. And, and before it was cool, um, he was both attacked in lawfare and canceled in, 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 almost canceled. I guess not totally canceled. Got himself opposite Carl Rove. Carl Rove was mad at him. So was Congress. Ultimately, I actually had to uh, plead to, I think, a misdemeanor, uh, count of, of, uh, of contempt of Congress, which, you know, these people should be held in contempt. The congressman should be held in contempt every other day, but, but survived all that and is practicing law. And Scott, I don't know when you watch the cancel culture and the lawfare, you must say to yourself, um, guys, they were doing this to uh, some of us 20 years ago. Oh, yes. This has been going on for some time. And I came into Washington a little bit uh, naive, a little bit uh, like Jimmy Stewart, thinking <laughs> you can change things and do good and really implement, you know, substantial uh, ethical and rule of law issues without, you know, getting harmed. And uh, of course, that's not the case. They'll come after you. Uh, and they did then and they're doing it now. But I think it, you know, as we talked about off air, this has really been set up for 50 years. And this goes back to even when I was in college, which is obviously the subject of my, of my novel. Uh, that's so, uh, all right, let's go to that, Scott, because we could talk. I, I almost wish, and maybe I'll do it another time, come on and talk about sort of, um, whistleblowers and watchdogs and Washington, D.C., how much it's changed, because I do consider y- your first part of that, you know, y- your guy from Kansas with a lot of sophistication, but, you know, you came to the swamp and, and it, it was a, a, f- a fight for your life almost. Uh, but we should say, I should make sure to say husband and father and grandfather, because Scott is always uh, proud about that. All right, Mount Wonder. Uh, I, I want to ask you first, the book is a about uh college and university and a young man who and it's as as i think you describe it's not it's not a uh memoir but it's got biographical uh, uh tendencies <laughs> how to say but when you read the book when i read this book um there's two things i keep thinking of is one is memory because as you look back in this and late in the book um the main character uh reconnects with one of his um the the woman that he was fell in love with year 30 years later and they go to a, a meal and the, he thinks it's this reconnection all this kind of sensibility from back when he was in love with her she as a 20 year old kid and she says i'm selling uh, life insurance i really i got back in touch with you 30 years later to meet up and it's kind of one of these moments where you're like huh like that you almost don't want to go back and break the spell so first 
How did you go back and think about what I know to be great experience of your life in college and almost not break the spell by writing about it? Well, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, something that was a very powerful experience for me and many others uh, at the University of Kansas it was called the Integrated Humanities Program. And it's uh, gone on to a little bit of fame and, and people have uh I know about it through the uh, monastery down in Oklahoma, the Clear Creek Monastery, right. and various bishops who've come out of it and so forth. John Sr. Is, was a famous educator. These men, uh, you know, took the the lump of clay that I was as a student, you know, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed uh, as I was, but ignorant, and right. exposed me to the great books and exposed me to wonder uh, and the sense of, you know, the uh, the great uh, journey and the conversation, the great conversation of the past that was so relevant to our times. And of course, it occurred in the 70s uh, when all of colleges and, and universities were catering to students because of the protests of the 60s and everything was about being relevant. And they weren't trying to be relevant as such. They were trying they were doing an experiment in tradition. And they were looking at the serious works of Plato and Aristotle and Homer and Augustine and Chaucer, you know, taking them seriously, not not looking down on them, not not trying to dissect them and and so forth um, and and deconstruct them. Um, and so as a student, this this was a powerful uh, it ignited something, a fire in me uh, and in others that that would not quit and has not quit. So when I'm looking at back in memory uh, as a, as an author. And then also the character is looking back in memory. He's got regrets uh, about, you know, life didn't really turn out necessarily as well as, as Plato might've predicted, or actually, you know, Her 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 Socrates does die. He has to drink the hemlocks, but it turned out too well for him either. But the, you know, the, the, the professors taught us and we learned uh, that the, ex the unexamined life is not worth living. And then we go out and have this examined life and then we get attacked. Right. Right. So, so this this character is looking back and he, he he really bought into the great books and he bought into truth, but he didn't quite take it all the way. And a lot of people did take it all the way. And he looks back on that, those great friendships and the incredible conversations and, and the exchanges that they had. Uh, and it's really haunted his whole life. So mm -hmm. he can't he can't help but but have these recollections. He can't help it. And so this is what, you know, you know, starts the novel out. And the fact that he fell in love with this girl, this is what led him into this, this humanities program. He right. chased her into it, you know, and that's right. often what happens with beauty. You got beauty, truth, and goodness, the th three transcendentals. Uh, and they often were led into the truth. We're led into beauty. We're led into the understanding of the, the ultimate truth by, you know, beautiful things, uh, the world that was created, beautiful art, beautiful women, you know, wine, wine and song. Right. And so what this program also did was bring into play all of those factors of, of the human experience, the whole person of singing, of learning to dance, the waltz, of all of these traditional kind of arts of culture. And this this brings, the, you know, a person alive. So it's not just a, a head reading a book, you know, but it's a lived experience of tradition. So this is we're talking with Scott Block. His book is called Mount Wonder. And um, but this is what I sort of want to go back to um, memory, sort of qua memory is um, is going to be uh, corrupted is the wrong word, but it's going to be transformed 
by other experiences. So when you sit 30 years after in Chicago, the main character and meets with the girl that, that he had fallen in love with, and it's totally different. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, there's this kind of tension because you don't want the memory in the past was totally real and totally uh, beautiful and, and totally serious. But now to today, it's kind of, again, the word I use is break the spell. I mean, I, I think that, and, and, and then Scott, and you and I could talk about this for hours. Um, part of the reason why religion and faith in a God that comes into history is so important is because it doesn't change. Right. So we've got this problem. Memory seems to change to people. I think they, and then they doubt what they knew and then they doubt. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, this is true for the character and this is very much what I'm working with in the novel is that there's this sense of, well, who am I as a person? Was I a fake? You know, was, was I telling the truth? Right. And am I telling the truth now? Right. He has to grapple with this. Right. Right. So what what he comes to in the end, and obviously this is not a spoiler alert because this is literature. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not a genre fiction. You know, you're dealing with a complex situation inside of a human being who's trying to understand it. Did what I have, was that the best thing? Was that the highest good? Or is there something higher than this? And almost necessarily he needs the release as we all do from those things in the past that we we cherish too much right we hold on to that 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 image and that idea of the perfect life or the best person or the best thing and and it has the spell has to be broken in a way for us to go on to realize the higher good the uh we're again we're talking with scott block uh the book is called mount wonder and uh uh, scott j block uh um right and so here's the thing is the uh, and, and you're going to my listeners who know I love books and I I do have a, a, a ride to work. So I do books on tape a lot. And I recently uh, listened to Madame Bovary, which I actually didn't like very much. But <laughs> in the beginning of the book, they talk about the main character, Emma, and, and she's got this if only problem, meaning right. if only this, if only that. So. Scott, is that, and so that's literature a couple hundred years ago, whatever, whatever year it was. So uh, obviously it's not a new thing. This, um, if only this had happened, something else would happen, right? The, you know, uh, from, from, from Madame Bovary all the way to Quantum Leap, the TV show, you know, if this had happened or that, you know, these kinds of, uh, think about what would have been. But <clears throat> is the modern sensibility more specifically that way? Is it almost like, we have too many options for our lives, and therefore you can if only yourself to to death. I think so. I think what what we have is is a um, sense that we can we have mastered everything. We have mastered nature, and we just have to push buttons and make choices and and like th- you know hit the like button and do the you know on on demand. They call it on demand. Everything's on demand. And it's like we think we're gods, you know, we're on demand, uh, but we find out we're not. And that's that's the tragic element, you know, that the Greeks all talked about. And, and I think Flaubert in, in Madame Bovary is is trying to you know bring about this this new kind of tragic element in in the individual as opposed to, you know, a, a higher kind of social sense of tragedy. Um, and it's this individual kind of uh, standing there in, in the void. Uh, with their pretensions and with their desires and wanting to break free of social mores uh, and then finding out, you know, that it just leads to death. Right. 
Um, now that book obviously is, is not what I'm after, but, um, but there is that sense that the modern person finds himself in, in a dilemma of yeah. what am I supposed to want? You know, right. what is the good? And, you know, that's, and I deal with that. Uh, the professors in the novel deal with that, you know, what is the good? And just even asking that question brings a certain, you know, a certain understanding, uh, a certain level of humility. Because we don't really know what's good. We think we do. Uh, but then we end up choosing the wrong things. And so only by, you know, being developing our, our you know, higher sense and, and virtue can we, you know, desire even what's right, what's good. Uh, we're talking with Scott Block. By the way, his book, uh, Mount Wonder, available anywhere you buy books. If you go on Amazon, other places, uh, you can get you see it there. Um, and a, a, a comment, uh, Scott, or uh, your thoughts, because I know in your professional life, an attorney, and uh, or maybe I should say in your <laughs> your grown up life, you've uh, also supported higher education. You've been on the board of uh, uh, higher ed- higher ed institutions and and helped uh, lead things. So this this book is based at a public university. I know you started out your life at a public university and. And you were drawn to this uh, great books program and to this community. Um, how do you feel about that today? Is it less likely, more likely? Are there more? Uh, because higher ed is really, I uh, know uh, you had a family, your kids are grown and you got grandkids. Higher ed is a mess. And yet sometimes it's at the messiest place where in your case or in the main in Mount Wonder, it's uh, it's a public university where you find the right community and off you go. Uh, it, it, how does that how does that look today? How does that um, uh, how do you think that's heading? And um, um, what, what are your thoughts about the what, the dynamic that happened to the main character here and also biographically in your life uh, happening more and more, less and less? Uh, what's the future? Well, I think right now we're poised for a a new a new look at um, liberal arts education, higher education. I think we are poised even for a kind of revolution, if you will, um, that you can take this the, the ruins that we're in, and and I think people are very sick. Parents are sick, and students are sick of not being offered uh, these timeless, wonderful things that really enrich our lives and make it possible for us to think for ourselves. And it doesn't tell you what to think, you know. It just tells you how to think. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it suggests some good things to think about, but it doesn't dictate anything. And that's what the importance of the liberal arts is, is to free you. That's what the word liberal is referring to in liberal arts, free you to be a better human being to consider the most important things and to think well, write well, speak well. Um, and so we're, we're in the midst of a, a reshuffling in civilization when we, where we, it's not really, you know, dictated to us what's going to happen. People think, well, that's inevitable right now. It's the end of everything. And that's not inevitable. Right. In fact, uh, you know, in history, there are these turning points where it looks like, well, the, the Roman empire is falling. What's going to come out of that? Um, you know, the, the year 1000, what's, you know, the church is falling apart, the monasteries are falling, what's going to come out of that? And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we really believe that it's possible that God could have us in a time where we're going to see a resurgence of culture, of Catholicism, of liberal arts, of people, you know, starting to think again normally? Um, now, obviously, if we get a dictator, you know, in place uh, that's beyond even the dictator we have in place, uh, things could get really worse, but they don't necessarily have to go that direction. So I think 
you know, the, the lesson of the integrated humanities program and, and, and what is described in my book is that you can band together with other people and fight these forces and have a great community of thinkers, of scholars, of, you know, of, of just beautiful human beings who then have families who go out and become priests and, and nuns and start monasteries and colleges. You know, we started the, the university, uh, the, the Wyoming Catholic College. I'm on the board of trustees now at the, at the Thomas More College of Liberal Arts. So th- it's happening in pockets, but then in the universities and in public institutions, you have it happening in Newman centers all over the place, up right. in Nebraska and elsewhere. You have it happening through focus. And so you have it in pockets. Yes, everybody wants to think, you know, in terms of 30,000 students are all going to be converted at once. Well, maybe not. Hmm. Maybe we have to think in terms of pockets uh, and we have to work out from there. Scott Block is our guest, an author, uh, attorney, and um, thoughtful um, uh, guy. A uh, couple things. One, in the book, the main uh, one of the main fixtures of the book is is a um, uh, is a house, I guess, or uh, that's the way to describe it. A place, and eleven thirty two is how it's referred to. It burns to the ground. Is that biographical? Was there was there a burning down to the ground, or was it was this a device? I kept thinking. Oh, my, I wonder if there was a fire. I was going to do a search for fires in what year you were a junior or senior in college. Was yeah, there we a fi- finally <laughs> we're finally going to solve the crime? Ed. Um, <laughs> no, actually, there was no there was no arson. Um, it, there was an 1132 Ohio and it was a cherished, wonderful place uh, that was handed down for generations of students. And, um, uh, it, uh, was, we, we got turned out at the end of college, you know, when it was uh, graduation time, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, landlord who was a wonderful man, he turned it into a halfway house for drunks. Oh, well, and same we thing as college, same thing as college. Oh, never well, mind. That's Sorry, right. We looked at each other. We looked at each other and said, well, well what was it all these years? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So anyway, yeah, it, it did exist, and uh, you know, it still exists in in many hearts. Uh, you know, it, it, that was really a, a part of the novel. Really, is about uh, that that fraternity that happens that that uh, time in life when that level of friendship is possible. And you know, as Aristotle said, you know, no man wants to go through life without friends. Right. And and this really this kind of friendship you know, it was really a lifelong thing. And, and I still have many, many friends out of that. And so, you know, you never, it's, 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 you could talk about it as nostalgia, but it's really not nostalgia as such. It's more of a, there's, there's a thing called home. There's a thing called a place where you are most comfortable, where you can have these conversations, where you're known, where you right. know others, you know? And so you take that with you and you have that in other forms in other ways, um, so this is a kind of, um, you know, a tribute to that. It is uh, very effective in that uh, uh, way, in a, a sort of a tribute to friendship, as you allude to, and also that time and all. I could talk a lot longer about it. I think I'll probably have to go have uh, a meal with you, Scott. We'll catch up and talk longer because I've got more questions, but I've got a, I'm out of time. So uh, Scott Block, again, uh, the book is called Mount Wonder, available anywhere you buy books online or otherwise. Um, and uh, Scott J. Block, an attorney, uh, has been a public figure in the past and is, as he writes in his uh, summary of himself, husband, father and grandfather uh, all the time. So uh, that's uh, who he is. Thank you for the time, Scott. It's very interesting. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Scott Block, everybody. I will put up on uh, 
uh, social media uh, links to that. And uh, it's really fun, a fun read, especially for people of a certain age, maybe who have a college experience. I I, I can parallel. I'm a little bit younger than he is, uh, but I can parallel his experience of college. And I sent it to uh, uh, a friend of mine from college who really enjoyed it. So uh, you should check it out. And a lot of a lot of other truths in there, not just about college or university life. Okay, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin. Don't forget here on the Pro America Report, go to ProAmericaReport.com. You can sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, which you'll get at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. We'll be right back here on the Pro America Report. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. Thus declares Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution. Up to now, courts have indicated that they are unwilling to enforce this clause, so it's up to Congress and state legislatures to protect it. Yet some 21 states allow new laws to be enacted without approval by the state legislatures, thereby creating a loophole through which corporations can pour tens of millions of dollars on elections, which would otherwise be banned as improper spending. This loophole is known as a ballot initiative. Colorado and Washington state became the first states to legalize recreational marijuana by short-circuiting their legislatures in this way. Michigan was on the road to economic recovery under its Republican legislature, which held a 63-47 House majority after the 2016 election. Then Big Weed put its thumb on the scale by placing a marijuana initiative on the ballot in 2018. They spent millions of dollars to enact this Democrat-favored legislation, but they did it by ballot initiative. The predictable side effect was to knock out more than half of the Republican lead in the legislature, dropping its majority to 58-52 and electing Democrats to statewide offices. In the 2020 election, lacking a similar ballot measure, the balance of power remained unchanged, even though Democrat Joe Biden reportedly won that state. Then in 2022, big money returned to Michigan to push through a ballot initiative for abortion. The distortion of $47 million, at least, which was spent for this abortion initiative, enabled Democrats to take control of the Michigan House for the first time in more than a decade, while re-electing the Democrat governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. The Democrats have done a great job pushing the idea that direct democracy is as American as apple pie. But that form of government is exactly what our founding fathers feared most. Our nation is not a democracy, but a constitutional republic in which representatives are selected by the people to represent their interests with significant oversight by the people. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we're getting uh, close to the end of the show and heading into the weekend. So let me um, let me go ahead and finish. I, I want to contrast a um, 
I want to contrast um, Joe Biden in the White House when he was confronted by a reporter who said bribery allegations. Congresswoman Nancy Mace says there da- there's damning evidence in an FBI file that you sold out the country. Do you have a response? And Biden said, where's the money? I'm joking. It's a bunch of malarkey. Now, I guess he's just totally confident that he's there's nothing wrong i mean in a way it's in a way that's uh maybe the way he should be like if he totally believes everything is nonsense why not and he says where's the money but it's a little bit much isn't it it's a little bit much contrast that with what i heard someone say earlier today they actually said they're so um worn out by trump's indictments that they're just tired of it and you remember in the, on this program about six, uh, five years ago, not six, five years ago, in the early days, in the first maybe year or two of the, of the Trump administration, I said, it's not so much Trump uh, derangement syndrome that will be a problem. It's Trump exhaustion syndrome, that the way the media portrays Trump will make him so exhausted, make, uh, make people so exhausted that they're just sick of it. And they're they're just sort of like, oh, you know, that's enough's enough. Enough's enough. I've had enough. I hear it all the time. And the contrast would be Joe Biden at this point. He should be if there was a serious media in the country, they would be appalled by that. Where's the money joke? It's not a funny joke. It's it's a serious no matter what. At this point, there's been enough evidence. There's been admissions by the FBI and others about what's gone on. At least it's clear that his son and his family have made lots of money off of being named Biden or related. It's not funny. And maybe, you know, I'm not exactly unbiased. I get that. But I mean, so my point here is that the way things are portrayed changes completely how you feel about it. Because the country should be disgusted by Biden's corruption or the appearance of corruption. Say it that way, to be fair, be fairer. And yet... It's depicted in such a way that I don't think people are tired of it. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm just seeing the difference and being annoyed by it. But I will say I do think that the Trump, uh, the Trump exhaustion syndrome is a major factor, a major problem for Trump in the sense that they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop now. There'll be another indictment. There'll be another indictment. There'll be more coverage. There'll be more coverage already. I heard someone characterizing uh, this document, the the documents uh, fiasco. They're saying it's about espionage. Does anybody really think Donald Trump was involved in espionage? Seriously? Like these people have been. But again, a whole bunch of the country is hearing it. When you hear it over and over, when you hear it over and over, the uh, the reality is it's it starts to be starts to be something that people uh, are are able to believe in. Right. I mean, if you said if you said five years ago, Donald Trump would be involved in espionage with Iran, you'd say that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And now because of Trump, the Trump exhaustion syndrome and Trump exhaustion based on what they've done and the media has done the narrative machine. It's not that it's plausible at all. It's just that you, you people start to uh, 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 hear something so many times, they start to you know have a connection anyway. But back to this, uh, I, I you know I, I spoke uh, earlier today uh, with a um, uh, a uh, pretty smart lawyer type, 
And he said, you just got to stay focused. People have to stay focused on what's really going on. Don't get distracted by indictments and then the media. See, this is a classic. This is like an Adam Schiff. They call it a Schiff. Schiff someone called it Schiff and a Skiff. When Adam Schiff used to go into the Skiff, the secure room, and then come out and say, oh, I've seen stuff. And man, that Russia stuff looks bad. It looks bad. I can't tell you what it is. But it looks bad. Now they got a you know skiff and a shift uh, deal going on because you you got a situation where they're saying, well, there's there's documents and they're they're classified, so we can't tell you what they are. But it's really bad. It's really bad. It's really it's at the heart of this thing, and it's really bad. I can't tell you what they are. It's the skiff and the shift trick, and that's what they're doing again. And to some extent, it will work insofar as it lets it be a talking point. Insofar as it lets the uh, the people talk about that. Uh, as uh, as what's going on, the, the pundits and everyone else uh, as a way to distract. So skiff and a shift, the uh, skiff and a shift trick is uh, what you're seeing here. So, all right, we got to wrap things up. Listen, have a great weekend. Uh, if you didn't get a chance, my friend Woody Woodrum of uh, of San Diego, the Screaming Eagles, uh, uh, Phyllis Schlafly Screaming Eagles, he was with us uh, earlier on Friday for our weekly prayer. We do a weekly prayer call. Uh, people come together about 30 minutes it was great. If you want to join, go to com. sign up for the Daily Wink there. You get an email about it. And uh, if you're on our email list, you'll find the invitation 10 a.m. Central Time, Phyllis Schlafly Time, which is 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Uh, on every Friday, we get together uh, for a 30-minute prayer session. And today, um, Woody Woodrum helped us with that. So heading into the weekend, hope everyone has a great weekend. Let me say thank you as always to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde, associate producer for all of their work, keeping things going, keeping things on track and, uh, and making sure things are online. Don't forget, go to proamericareport.com is where you can sign up. Proamericareport.com is where you can sign up for the daily wink and you'll get that every morning. So have a great weekend, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report signing off until next week. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.